Today, we discuss the world of charity fundraising events and how bringing your talents to the table can make a world of difference. I'm MC Moffat, filling in this week for Amarika Raffinelli, and this is Direct Leaf Connect. Today on the show, we are joined by Sab Irene, who's a video game saxophonist and music educator who has taken part in 10 different digital fundraisers benefiting Direct Relief since 2016. She streams online song requests and games on Twitch four days a week and also performs new covers of video game music on YouTube every other Saturday. Her other creative outlets include baking, cross-stitch, and crochet. We're also joined by Paul Grimkowski, a special events manager here at Direct Relief. He has been with the organization since 2018, primarily planning and executing special events to drive support and awareness for Direct Relief's mission. He's an awesome father as well and has an extensive background in classical music performance, loves cooking, and is a fan of retro video games. So we're going to start off uh, by talking to our guests and kind of uh, hearing in their own words, uh, who they are and what they're up to. Uh, so, Sab, do you want to start us off? Uh, sure. Um, so, basically, like MC said, my name is Sab Irene. Um, I'm a professional saxophonist, vocalist, and pianist. I've been making video game content on YouTube for over eight years now and streaming for about three years. And um, I'm a teacher. I just I love getting to share music and have people understand it on a deeper level, like why they connect with uh, music. And I've played video games since I was a kid, and that grew to be a huge part of my world, as most of what I deal with is video game music, getting to record for games now, um, you know, and composing my own stuff. So it's it's been a lot of fun to to just make music what I do. Yeah, absolutely. Paul, a little bit about yourself. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for the introduction. Um, as you mentioned, my uh, my main responsibilities really revolve around uh, executing, uh, really planning, executing, and evalu- evaluating special events. Um, we have a lot of uh, partner visits, stakeholder engagement events, uh, virtual events, things of that nature um, that really just aim to uh, shine a light on direct relief on um, what it is that that we're up to, um, and really just drive awareness to to the activities and all of our great partners that we work with. So. Um, essentially, I just try to help uh, my teammates look and sound their best whenever they're sharing these updates and uh, getting in front of other people to uh, talk about the great work that's going on. Would, would you actually like to give us a little bit about how uh, you got involved with Director Leaf, Paul? Like when you first uh, found out about the organization, how long it's been uh, something kind of in your sphere? Sure. Yeah, I um, actually I just I, I found out about direct relief through my wife um, who grew up in Santa Barbara. Um, she sort of introduced me to the organization in 2014. Um, she knew that it was a, uh, a well-respected organization uh, in the community. She, she grew up here and uh, lived here most of her life. She also uh, lost her house in Santa Barbara's tea fire back in uh, 2008, I think it was. Uh, it was a, a terrible fire that destroyed, uh, I think, more than 200 homes. And I think uh, Governor Schwarzenegger, uh, who was governor at the time, uh, came to visit uh, the site of a lot of destroyed homes and actually stood like in the driveway uh, of, you know, I guess what was the driveway of my, uh, my wife's home. Um, So it really had a big impact on her, of course, um, going through a sort of a disaster like that. Um, And even though, 
you know, she had a good support system of classmates and family and friends and, uh, you know, a bunch of helpful folks. She, you know, it still had a huge impact on her life going through something like that. So uh, I personally can't imagine like how difficult situations like that must be when you can't even access your, you know, life-saving medicines like insulin or something. Uh, so that's what really drew me to, to direct relief and um, tried to find ways in which I can be helpful. Um, it just so happened that, you know, when I uh, looked into direct relief, I saw that uh, they needed uh, an advance manager for a brand new event space. They just had a, a new facility constructed and were uh, opening it, uh, you know, right when I joined the organization. So it worked out perfectly. And uh, it sort of aligned with my uh, my previous history of, of being part of mission-driven organizations, uh, which mostly focused around music. But yeah, that was kind of my transition into direct relief. And, um, you know, it seemed like a natural fit for me. So I'm happy to be here. That's awesome. That's amazing. Now, they, I actually didn't know a lot about that. Uh, I've never really taken the time to ask you before in our adventures at Direct Relief. So that was uh, <laughs> some, some good... Um, some good history, some Paul history uh, to put in the books today. All you can handle. <laughs> <laughs> now, Sab, I'm a little bit more aware of, of your history with Direct Relief, but uh, for our listeners, would you like to uh, fill them in? My first time actually working with charity was when I was in grade school. Um, where I went to school, we did like the the mathathon things for St. Jude Children Research Hospital. Um, and I did a lot of those pages, not knowing that my, my parents had to pay for it. I was like, I just want to do it. Um, so like at a very young age, I knew about, um, St. Jude, which kind of opened my eyes to all these humanitarian organizations. So it was something I always kind of had, um, been aware of as a young child. So then when I grew to find Zeldathon through a lot of my friends, like musician friends, told me they're like oh I'm going to this event and I was like oh I've never heard of this I should watch it and I got to meet the team members and I remember meeting MC and he's like hey you want to come to Zelda <laughs> and um I, I said yes and it's been a really fun like think about f- almost four or five years now I've been working with the team on various events and it's been amazing to watch it flourish from the time I was there to what it is now Right. And it's been uh, especially crazy because you, you, you joined uh, the Zeldathon crew on some of our charity uh, adventures, which have obviously been tied in with direct relief. But right. as time has gone along, you've also become involved with more events in the direct relief sphere <laughs> and bringing your talents there. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit more about those? Yeah, so when I first kind of came on board to Zeldathon, I was just one of the musicians, um, part of the band, and I absolutely loved it. But then I started getting more involved. People asked me if I wanted to then like run a game for Zeldathon, which was kind of like my my little sneak peek of speedrunning. I'm not a speedrunner by trade, but I kind of had to be in that moment. Um, and then getting asked to be part of uh, TRG Coliseum, who raises money for direct relief once a year. And getting to have a little bit more of a solo act because we did work together as the musical team, the six or seven of us. But then to have my own solo performance was super nerve wracking. But it's just been enjoyable to kind of show the the strengths that I bring to the table and things that I didn't even know or, or just kind of push my boundaries. I'm like things I was hesitant about, but, you know, it ended out it turned out OK in the end just because I had strong support from the team behind me. So uh, being part of these events and getting to perform, uh, that, that kind of begs the question, uh, what type of music 
do you enjoy the most? Like what type of genres do you really like? Obviously, uh, being a saxophonist, uh, people think instantly of jazz, but, uh, you also play piano and sing, uh, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. Uh, so I got my degree in, uh, classical saxophone and music education. So it's funny because like you said, everyone's like, Oh, you're a saxophonist. You gotta, you gotta be a jazz player. I'm like, actually, no. Yes. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. So I, I primarily studied classical saxophone, did win ensemble chamber music, which is some of my favorite. But I like to blend that with elements from R&B, lo-fi and jazz. Uh, one of my friends coined the term chamber R&B to kind of describe the music that I make because it's <laughs> kind of half classical, half jazz inspired. And I really like that. Uh when it comes to just listening, I'm kind of a sponge. I'll listen to anything that's not really like country or Baroque. I just not a huge fan of those, but I, I listen to a lot of like indie soul music, jazz, um, EDM. I'll listen. I'll listen to anything, really. I just everyone in my family group, uh, everyone in my family listened to such different music growing up that I was just very open to it versus I know other people, they really only had a specific soundscape. So when they hear stuff that isn't that, they're like, ooh, no. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's it's been fun just picking up a lot of instruments because I, I played piano as a kid and I didn't start saxophone until I was 14 and I didn't start private instruction until 17 and I somehow got to go to school for it and picked up flute, clarinet and all these other instruments along the way and it's been really fun to see how can I work these into what I do, but then also into events to just kind of like bring a surprise element of things that people don't know about me. Um, I like to sing as Kermit a lot when I do charity streams because it's just (laughs) something so jarring that people are like, wait, what? So, uh, it raises money. It raises money money and it gets people to laugh. That's what it's all about. Uh, now we also know that Paul, you, uh, you've mentioned to us that, uh, you've had quite a bit of music history as well in your life. Uh, you, do you, what, what type of, uh, what, what do you play? I, I, I think I know, but uh, why, don't, why don't you tell us in your own words? Sure. Yeah. I, I play the trombone or at least, um, I used to, uh, much more frequently than I do now. Um, uh, I, I guess my story is a little bit different. I, uh, you know, I remember when I was uh, in middle school and my uh, my sister was in choir uh, and I went to one of her choir performances after uh, baseball practice. And uh, it just so happened that before this uh, this choir performance that I was going to, it was held in the um, sort of the baseball field right behind the school. And I remember standing for some reason, you know, they didn't have dugouts uh, in back of the school here, but they had a little gap in between the, the fence and the backstop. So I chose to stand right there for some reason because I was in elementary school and not not very bright apparently. And I took a foul ball right to the eye. And (laughs) so I got to have a nice ice pack and sit through this choir concert the entire time with an ice pack on my eye thinking, why did I stand there? And that was a really good life lesson for me. (laughs) But the other thing I realized during that time was that, you know, I, I was sitting there and I was like, man, this this jazz band is really cool. This, uh, this band is really awesome. I really like this music. I really love the trumpet. I think maybe I'll play the trumpet. So as soon as I was in fifth grade, I had the opportunity to join band and I went in and, uh, <laughs> I remember going up to the, the band director and saying, you know, I want to play trumpet. And he looked at me and saw that my arms were essentially as long as they are now. I'm, I'm a pretty tall guy with a very long arms. And he's like, here, try this. So <laughs> I was able to reach the <laughs> seventh position, which is, you know, the, uh, 
the farthest out uh, on the trombone. Uh, and he was like, you should play trombone. And I was like, all right, sure. So it looked like a cool instrument. So that's kind of how I got started with it. And, um, you know, I was lucky enough to, to have a, a, you know, private lessons right from the start, which I think was really helpful for me. I think I thrived with that sort of instruction. And uh, I was lucky enough to have a teacher who went to uh, Eastman School of Music, which is a, a really great um, music conservatory. Uh, just so happened that, that he was from the same town as me and came back and did some teaching. And uh, I was lucky enough to study with him. So uh, that really led me on a path to, uh, to really you know, trying to excel and trying to be, um, you know, the best musician that I could be because I really enjoyed it. And uh, it led me to uh, actually going to the Eastman School of Music myself and uh, really loving playing with orchestras and jazz bands, even though I, I wasn't very good at jazz band, but uh, I really enjoyed jazz and, and combos and things like that. So um, primarily now, you know, I'll, I'll listen to a lot of jazz music and love J.J. Johnson and other greats. Um, uh, classical music, uh, I don't perform very much anymore just because, you know, when you lose your, uh, when you lose your chops, it's, uh, it's kind of hard to just pick it up and kind of play if you're not, uh, practicing very regularly. And with a couple of kids, it's, uh, it's tough to keep that up. So, uh, I'm mostly just a listener right now and, um, you know, just really loving, uh, loving being part of this conversation. You got to play him the Bolero excerpt at some point. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know all about that. Yeah, oh, I heard it one. every day for four years. <laughs> yeah, totally. I I, yeah, <laughs> I wish it was only four years for me. It's a, that's a good one. It's honestly, it's, it is honestly a, uh, a pretty fun one to play. Um, so drum, drum players like to complain about it a lot, but it's, uh, it's mm -hmm. pretty fun and, and challenging. So, uh, it happened to sit in a good range for me. So I, I thought I, um, there you go. Uh, I was pretty good at it, so I was lucky, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's been mentioned that both of you have had kind of more classical training in terms of uh, bo both of you have gone to, to music school. And uh, I guess I'll ask you first, Seb, because so, I guess it's a, probably a, a touch more recent for you since I think you're <laughs> you're just wrapping up. How, how do you think that differs from more uh, less formal ways of, of learning music? You mean, how does going to school for music differ from like more informal education, just learning, I like not through an institution? Yeah, like, like picking up an instrument yourself and kind of, you know, stepping through it in, in, in a different way, you know, without the music yeah. theory behind it as much. So most of my instruments I was self-taught on before I actually went to college. So for me, it was just... It was that I could hear that things were off, but I didn't know how to troubleshoot like what was happening. I'm like, wait, why is that happening? Or like, oh, that's very different from this instrument. And a lot of what I spent time doing was trying to make connections. Like when I first started playing saxophone, I had like these melodies written out that I would play on piano. And when I would go to play the notes, I'm like, wait, that's not the same. It doesn't sound the same. And I learned about uh, transposition, which is when because instruments are based in different pitches. Um, so I learned how to just kind of be ob observant about those things. And then when I went to school, there, there are only certain things that you will pick up on and other things that teachers will make you aware of. And I think that that's what a teacher's job is, especially with music school, is that their job is to teach you how to teach yourself, which is kind of what I already did. But they can give you so many skills and make you aware of things that 
you didn't notice about your playing, how you're sitting. I used to have this bad habit of anytime I would have like a scoop or a bend, I would like roll my shoulder back. I did it <laughs> since like high school and for years, no one told me. And I, that's all I could think of when I was playing. I was like, am I doing that? Am I doing that? And I'd have to like look over at my shoulder. I'm like, oh my God, am I rolling my shoulder? I can't be, I can't be. So um, it's kind of when someone, it's like the glass shattering moment with teachers. Out there. They're like, did you notice? I'm like, no, but now that's all I'm going <laughs> to see and hear for months. Um, so I think like teachers pretty much and like that formal experience, um, it allows you to meet like-minded individuals for collaboration because they're there for similar reasons as to you. But then you also get to work with teachers who have so many years of experience and can kind of help give you a list of tools to help troubleshoot when you have an issue arise. That was really well said. If I could, I'm sorry. That's, <laughs> that was that was very well said. Like, I totally agree with that. And <laughs> I have to say, like, I think you said, what, three, the first three years that you were playing, you didn't have private instruction. That's really yeah. impressive. And I hope everybody understands that, like, uh, that's really difficult to do. And for one, it's it's hard to stay motivated sometimes and it's hard to, to sure. keep up with it. And uh, man, I'm, I'm really impressed. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Accountability. You just kind of reminded me of that, like playing for a teacher, you have accountability to someone versus when you don't have that, you're just kind of like, oh, I'll do it whenever. It's so easy to procrastinate or push things off when you're not being held accountable where you have a lesson every week or something. Oh, for sure. And, and also, you know, we would have, uh, back, my teacher would have back-to-back lessons many times. And mm. one thing that he would always do is encourage us to then sort of start off the lesson with the next student by teaching something that we had learned um, or we're ourselves working on, which is really hard. I mean, even if you understand the concept or you're doing something really well, or if you're somebody who doesn't roll your shoulders or something when you're playing, <laughs> to then try to like, te- like make somebody else understand uh you know, a concept is really difficult and, and you stumble over your words a lot and you try to figure Mm -hmm. out the best way to say it. And, um, yeah, it's, it's really tricky, but man, it's, it's, uh, it's a really fun experience. And I think the education aspect of, uh, of music is, is a really fascinating one as well. Mm -hmm. What's been really exciting, I think is like from the music that, uh, Sab has been able to perform at some of the uh, charity events that have benefited direct relief over the past few years. It's been really interesting to see, like you mentioned the, the Kermit singing um, <laughs> to see how we can take uh, someone who has been like trained professionally and knows the theory <laughs> and knows, and, and knows the, knows the everything. And sometimes you just throw it all out the window for the sake of charity. And you oh, just, yeah. ki- and you just kind of have to p- perform like off the cuff, especially uh, I'm reminded of, of something that happens during Zelda-thon called the jam train, right. where where the music is suggested by the audience and performed in pr- pretty much real time. Like yeah. the only the only warning you really get is uh, like a few minutes of of a song's name being up on a board, and you just have to be prepared for it. How how has that kind of I don't know how how's events like charity events kind of you think morphed how you play and kind of how how you perform in general. I think that events like that have helped me calm down a bit. I do get a little bit of performance anxiety. Normally, you know, if I just take a few deep breaths, I'm, I'm all good. But because most of my training is it, you need to play exactly what's written on the page. 
Um, and I do have a good ear. Uh, most of the musicians at Zeldathon could tell you that. But what happens with me is that there's a little bit of a disconnect because saxophone is in a different key. So sometimes I'm like half thinking of how it would be in piano versus how it'd be in saxophone. So, and it's always like, well, I don't want to mess up too much because again, that's what my training is kind of rooted in. So it's kind of helped me let go. And it's like, we're all about having fun here. It gets me to learn tunes so fast and it helps that you know, I have a team behind me and even if I don't know what's going on, they do. And they're like, oh yeah, real quick. You know, I'm just like, oh wait, what are those chords again? They're like, oh yeah, just G minor, A minor, B flat major. I'm like, oh sweet. And then I can think about the the supporting roles that I can play versus the times where I'm a little selfish and I'm like, can I play the melody? <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it just really helped me to remember to keep like the, I guess like the, the finesse and polish in my playing like you know to still keep my tone but that it doesn't have to be perfect and that you can find what you're playing as you go it doesn't have to be memorized before you get out there and it's i bet it's especially difficult when you you play this you know the saxophone because the saxophone is not by default a quiet instrument no it's hard to hide (laughs) yeah when you play you you better hope that you're playing at least something that'll Something that right. sounds, yeah, something that sounds right to an extent. Yeah, it, it's not something like I know um, the violinists within yeah. our group. They they can sometimes just play very quietly. Like I'll I'll sometimes like rewatch a video and I'll see I'll see someone moving their arms. But there, there's no, there's very little of no sound <laughs> sometimes coming when I'm like, oh, they don't know this one. <laughs> and they're, they're kind of trying to figure it out right now live. <laughs> I'll let you in on a secret. I don't know most of them. Like a lot of them I've heard. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what to do. I'm like, held notes. They're my friend and they support and fill everything out because a lot of the times everyone wants to play the melody. So I'm like, all right, I'll do a supporting role. I don't care. I'll do it. It gives me something to do and I don't feel like I'm panicking as much. <laughs> at least as, as long as two members of the band have at least some semblance of what's going on with the song, then exactly. it usually works out. You're golden. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's uh, during like an events where you have all these moving parts, it can be really stressful and, but it can also be very exciting to see things come about. And Paul, I know with uh, some of the events that you work on, obviously you're not working with musicians necessarily, but you're working with, all sorts of interesting stuff. Uh, the the Firehawk fundraiser is something that was brought up in our notes before the meeting. And I actually wanted to ask a little bit of, about what that was. And uh, maybe you could fill in the listeners. Sure. Yeah, that, that was a really interesting one. I think one of the, the interesting things about working at Direct Relief, you, you said that wasn't, you know, there's not a lot of uh, uh, music per se in terms of performances. But there's a wide variety of events that I'm involved with, and that's that's a really interesting aspect of of the work. I think, um, you know, one day I can be uh, hosting a group um, like the Firehawk uh, event, like you mentioned. Another day I could have a, a lecture or um, a reception or a conference or something, and uh, it, it keeps the variety and keeps it really exciting. And um, specifically, the the Firehawk was a so Santa Barbara County um, ha- bought a. Uh, a used uh, Black Hawk helicopter, which they wanted to turn into a uh, a Firehawk helicopter for fighting fires. So it essentially had uh, a retrofit to make it um, a little more apt for, for fighting fires, including like a water tank um, and a bunch of other uh, different enhancements to it. Um, so what 
what we did was really just kind of draw attention to the project and uh, and help the county in that in their pursuit of of getting this thing retrofitted. Um, it's obviously a benefit to the to the local community, you know, having uh, having fires frequent the, the Southern California area. You know, I went through the Thomas fire. My wife went through the T fire. Um, you know, we were aware of the impact that, that these can have. And uh, it was really interesting to learn from uh, the folks at the fire department was, you know, just what kind of advantage uh, the helicopter can, can have on a fire. You know, when seconds or, or minutes really matter, um, this thing can make a huge impact. Um, right. You know, on one flank of the fire, they might have a, a Firehawk helicopter that they borrowed from L.A. County or Ventura or somewhere else. Another um flank of the fire, they might have, you know, three or four Huey helicopters, which are the, uh, the older helicopters that might be, you know, 50, 60 years old, um, or even more. So it was really interesting to kind of hear a lot of those specifics. Um, and this event that, that we had featured a, a really cool helicopter demo where, uh, the fire department actually flew the helicopter over to the, the headquarters, which is conveniently located right next to, uh, an airport, uh, a smaller airport, but luckily right across the street there. So it was easy for them to, to kind of fly over. And after they gave sort of a briefing to all of the supporters and, and folks who were in attendance, uh, we got to peek our heads outside, uh, which luckily there was a huge, if you've never been to, to direct relief, um, we have a huge glass, uh, essentially a, a wall on one side of the event space. And, mm. uh, you can sort of see what's happening out there while you're sitting uh, in there for the presentation. Uh, so we were able to go outside right as we saw this helicopter coming in and then just feel the, you know, the pressure of uh, all the, the downdraft from the helicopter. And, and we saw a really cool uh, sort of live demo where they simulated a, a rescue and they actually dropped uh, folks on a line um, down to a, a, an empty field right next to direct relief there. And it was really, really neat. And we got to see this, uh, uh, this helicopter in action and got to see um, sort of what these professionals do on a daily basis. Um, and it was really, really neat. No, I, I, I did not know much about that fundraiser at all, but hearing about that all coming together is kind of amazing. Like, you know, I think we were talking about, you know, it being kind of a performance, but when you mentioned like the, the helicopter can just literally appear during the, you know, the, the presentation, I think that's a performance right there. I think it that is, that's right? excellent. Although when you said a live demo, I was kind of hoping you were saying that it was going to dump a bunch of water, like on the parking <laughs> lot of direct relief or something. But, I uh, asked them to really aim for, for our CEO's car, but they decided that probably wouldn't have been a good idea. And I was like, you know what? That's probably right. We shouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess a question for you, Paul is as, as the COVID pandemic is still very much part of our lives are, how, how is your job evolving? Are, are events coming back? Uh, are you, have you been mostly in the world of webinars? Is, is that what's been going on mostly for you? Totally. Yeah. It's, you know, it's tricky because it's, it's really changing all the time and, and thinking about, um, you know, the Delta variant and, and different um, updates that are happening all the time. It's, it's difficult to plan events, you know, weeks or months or even more um, in advance. So uh, you just got to stay nimble and, and be ready to, to respond when we can. But yeah, we're hoping to invite folks uh, on site and um, starting with small groups, obviously, and uh, smaller meetings. And, and then hopefully we can uh, welcome back the community. One thing that we, that we, try to do at Direct Relief is uh, invite the local community to come and use the the public event spaces when we can. We have a, a few really great uh, event spaces that are, you know, perfect for uh, meetings and conferences, uh, 
presentations and lectures, things like that. Um, so we try to welcome them in and let them use the space um, whenever possible. So hopefully we can start that up again. Uh, but in the meantime, I'll continue on with uh, with webinars and uh, different online briefings and, and things of that nature. Sab, how about yourself? I know you you've been uh, you've been kind of in the world of the online broadcasting space since before COVID. Uh, what's coming up with you right now? I just took a nice little break because I pretty much was uploading every two weeks since August and a lot has been happening. I've had a lot of online events, mostly for direct relief from like March through June. So uh, I, I finally needed to just take some rest for myself. Um, but I'm hoping to come back and start releasing some of my own compositions. I've written a lot of stuff this past year throughout the pandemic, just sitting, sitting at my keyboard one morning and hitting the record button and seeing what happens. So I would love to start showing a little bit more what it is my music sounds like because covers are one thing and I love them, but I really want to start to show that kind of side. So that, that's what's coming up with me. Where can uh, people find your, your content and your, your music? Uh, I'm glad you asked MC. Um, <laughs> so youtube.com slash is where I upload pretty much every other Saturday. I stream on Twitch about four times a week, uh, doing music, games, and chatting. Twitch.tv, Sab underscore Irene. And you can find, I'm starting to push more of my music on uh, Spotify, uh, Apple Music, all those good platforms. And yeah, so you can find me in a few different ways, being dorky on Twitch, being a little bit more serious and musical on YouTube, and getting to hear that stuff on different platforms. Perfect. And Paul, you're not really uh, creating YouTube content on, on the daily. Uh, but what's what's the next big Direct Relief event? What's coming up right now? Um, there are, well, uh, I'm working with um, a couple of local groups. We uh, hosted some, uh, we, we were a vaccination uh, site for one of our local partners. So we helped them uh, sort of set up vaccinations at Direct Relief um, to try and help the community have a place that was uh, comfortable and welcoming and uh, allow them to get vaccinated. Um, so I'm working with them to, to try and um, hold a sort of a thank you reception for the volunteers that helped out with that. Um, they had more than 30 volunteers uh, helping out with every event over a few months. So uh, as soon as we're safe, um, it's safe to do so, then I'm going to help, uh, help them host that at Direct Relief. Amazing. Sab, I think that when we've, we've talked about what you've done with Director Leaf in the past, and there have been times that I, I think, I forget which event it was, that mm -hmm. there was like, you know, live disasters like happening right when we were doing them. Um, and it's interesting when you're able to be on the site, like for a fundraiser, for a cause that is, you know, an actively developing situation, which is one reason that I personally enjoy working with Director Leaf so much. Uh, I don't know. Do you have kind of a similar take? Yeah. Um, so one thing that I wanted to mention as Paul was talking was this past TRG Coliseum um, MCU sent us that video from uh, Newark airport where they were sending the supplies out to India where like FedEx had like donated um, a plane to be able to get all this su supplies out. And like, I, I was like tearing up as I was watching that because that it just kind of hit very close to home where I know that we're doing these great things, but to really see the impact real time, um, obviously not necessarily the, the money that we were raising that weekend, but just 
what we've been doing for the past few years, whether it's TRG Coliseum, a solo event, Zeldathon, whatever, the fact that we can see that it's really helping people, it just, it makes me very emotional because sometimes you donate to, to charities or organizations and you don't actually know what's really happening. So to be able to see that, it just, you know, it, it's really heartwarming that we're doing great things. Absolutely. Well, I think this is a great time to wrap up and say uh, thank you to both of you, first of all, Paul and Sab, for coming on to the podcast and sharing a little bit about yourselves and your work with Director Leaf. And also a good moment to thank our listeners and remind them that if they would like to hear more Director Leaf Connect, uh, tune in every two weeks. That's where we bring in guests and kind of get a little bit of insight into uh, their world of philanthropy. So thank you again, Sab and Paul. Thank you very much. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks, MC. Thanks, Seb. And thank you again to our listeners. Have a wonderful day.